You're listening to the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. This is a conversation all about leadership, vision, and joining in God's activity wherever you are. You can follow along with today's episode using the show notes at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for tuning in today. We hope you enjoy this episode. Well, welcome to episode number 18 of the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. My name is Scott Worthington, and as always, I have the privilege of leading alongside Pastor Vance here at Hope Church in Las Vegas. Uh, we are just kicking off the summer. This is the beginning of June, if you're listening to this in real time, and we're excited for all that God's done in this podcast. And again, we continue to hear how this is blessing you and encouraging you and challenging you in your leadership, wherever God has you leading. So, If you would do us a favor, go on wherever you got this podcast, whatever app you got it on, and you can rate us, you can review us, and actually, the way the algorithms work and all that, that actually helps get the word out about this podcast. So if you have benefited over the last couple years from this podcast, we would um, just ask you to go do that and to, to rate and review the podcast. That will be super, super helpful. So now that that's out of the way, I'm here with the man of the hour, as always, Pastor Vance Pittman. Vance, how you doing, man? Doing great, Scott. Uh, enjoying the summer, and we're actually obviously recording this a little bit before the the day it releases. And this time we did it a couple of weeks early because I'm about to head out and go celebrate my 27th wedding anniversary with my bride. Looking forward to that. And then I would be remiss if I didn't say this because today, the day this is releasing, June 3rd, is a very special day in my life because it was the day that our first daughter was born. So happy birthday, Hannah Gracia. Yeah, so we are excited about uh, today's episode. We have, as you know, if you've been a, a fan or a listener of the podcast for any length of time, we a lot of times ask you to send in your questions. And every single time we've done that, we get a question about something that we've mentioned in passing numerous times. Vance and different podcasts about leadership has talked about our teaching team here at Hope Church. And so every time we do a, a listener question uh, a episode, Vance gets questions and we thought, what better time to kick off the summer than to actually dedicate an entire episode to talking about our teaching team. Now, before you hit pause or you fast forward, this is obviously going to be a little more geared towards um, pastoral leadership, but I want you to hear this. This is not just good for people who are a part of a larger church. Um, Vance, what would you say to that? For people who are like, man, I'm a part of a small church. I don't have time for a teaching team. I might be the only staff member. How would you speak to that just as we jump into this this topic of a teaching team? Yeah, the teaching team is something that we've been using here at Hope Church since the very beginning, since we started. So when we started with 18 people in my living room, um, the principles that drive this teaching team ministry have been in place since then. So this isn't just something that we've done since we've become a larger church. It's something that was a part of our ministry from the very beginning. Now, obviously, it's grown and evolved and changed, whereas today, now, everybody who's involved in this process is a part of our staff team. It doesn't have to be that way. If you're pastoring a smaller church or you're a church planter, um, you can involve others. They don't have to be on staff. They don't have to be paid. They can be volunteers. It's a great way to raise up other leaders. It's a great way to give ownership uh, to others in the teaching ministry. Uh, so as you hear this, think think about it in that light, that, that these principles could be carried out. Uh, you have to be more flexible with your times and schedules when you're using people that aren't paid on staff at a church, uh, but it can be accomplished and you can get the benefits from it. That's awesome. So as we jump into the content today, um, before we really talk about the how and the nuts and bolts of a teaching team, uh, we really want to get to the why. So Vance, the first question I have for you, what are, what are some components 
that permeate everything about our teaching team? What's kind of behind the surface and the why behind what we do? Yeah, there are some core convictions or core competencies, if you will, that kind of drive or, or permeate every part of our process. Um, and, and there are really five of them that, that we use as kind of a filter for us here at Hope. And the first one would be this idea of God dependence. And what I mean by that is that we hear from God together. And hearing from God together is preeminent in the process. I believe that Christianity was designed to be lived out in community. And so as teachers of God's word, I think there's something about how God speaks to us in community. So our teaching team ministry lives out this principle of hearing from God together, not just somebody off in a room by themselves, but hearing from God in community together to then teach the community as we gather. Secondly, something that permeates our process is understanding that we live in Las Vegas and in the Western United States in a pre-Christian context. Meaning, um, in the context that I live in, I can't assume that they know uh, the story of Jonah or that they've read from the book of Malachi or that they even know that's how you say the book of Malachi. Um, And so what I'm saying by that is you need to know your context. What is the context where you're teaching? So in our context, we have to to begin with with removing some assumptions because we're teaching in a pre-Christian context where most of the people in our audience have never read a Bible. They've never heard the gospel. They've never been under the teaching of the scriptures. And so we can't assume that they know certain things. We can't say, oh, you know the story of Noah. Let's use him as an illustration. No, we have to go tell the story of Noah. The third would be, a multicultural or multi-ethnic filter. Um, In the context that I'm preaching in, the church that I pastor, we have 54 languages represented in our church. And so understanding that, I need to know that I'm preaching to a, a collision of culture that's taking place. And so I need to know that other cultures have spoken into Um, what we're going to be teaching, because sometimes the application of Scripture needs to happen with an understanding that multiple cultures are receiving this teaching, and that can look differently based on a different culture and context. The truth doesn't change. The truth is the truth. But understanding that truth, applying that truth, and the perspective by which somebody's seeing that truth is largely shaped by culture. So you need to understand the culture of your church as well. Number four, Um, is this filter of understanding that in preaching, we're talking to people and not about people. Often in preaching, if we're not careful, uh, we can talk about things in culture and about people, but we need to always remember that people that are far from God are always very near to us. And in our church, people that are very far from God are very close to us. They're often sitting right there in the fellowship as we're teaching God's word and having that mindset of we're talking to people. We are sheep before we are shepherds and we are one of them and we're talking to and with people and not about people as we preach and teach. And then fifthly is this this component of, of humility and transparency. Uh, At the end of the day, every member of our teaching team is a Jesus follower in the same process of being conformed to his image as the people we're preaching to. We are not finished products on display. We are all works in progress. And so those five components are important and permeate every part of what I'm about to talk about. Yeah, I think that last one, um, I've been going to Hope Church now for about 12 years, and that last one... I've just always appreciated specifically about you, Vance. And honestly, I've learned in my teaching to to really to model that. I mean, just being real. I mean, people, when they're listening to a preacher, 
there's just a breath of fresh air when somebody who's on stage who they admire from a spiritual standpoint is just real with them i mean you said some one-liners over the years it just makes you human and that's not you being falsely humble or falsely transparent that's you just being a pastor who's being real and transparent so i can speak personally to number five there about being humble and transparent with your people um, and how that's spoken to me and, and how i'm learning from you in that scott and i'll just be again to be transparent not to not to ping off the word but uh, the single biggest, for lack of a better word, compliment that people pay me about coming here and hearing me teach and hearing me preach, the single biggest thing I hear from people is how much they appreciate just the authenticity mm. or the realness. It's not how well I know the Greek language or how you know catchy my points are mm. or how funny my illustrations are. It's they appreciate the fact that I'm just one of them. Yeah. And I, I, because even the setup in the church in America, you know, we got the stage, we got the pulpit, we got the lights. It, it lends itself towards this idea that what's up there on the stage is the finished product, and we're all trying to be that. And if we can just remember in teaching ministry that before we are preachers and pastors, we are followers of Jesus that are broken works that God is doing in us. We're filled with brokenness, and God is doing an unbelievable, redemptive, restorative work in our lives, um, and we're a work in progress just like everybody else. That's awesome. So we're going to jump in. We're going to look under the hood of a teaching team ministry. And so really, we're going to ask Vance, what does our process look like? You've, you've kind of broke them down into different phases. Let's talk about those phases. What are those from a teaching team perspective? Yeah, let me just give them to you. We have five phases of our teaching team process and, and how we lay this out. And we hold all of this loosely. Obviously, I'm going to lay out some stuff for you that can sound very systematized, But there's nothing wrong with having a system and a plan as long as you hold it loosely, allowing the Holy Spirit of God to change the plan or restructure the system whenever he chooses to. So this is the the plan that we execute and we hold it loosely. So there are five phases. Number one, the 30,000 foot phase. I call it seeing the big picture. And this is usually myself and our executive pastor will get away Uh, once a year for a couple of days, and we just kind of map out the preaching calendar for about the next 12 months. So we'd be looking a little bit further ahead, but it's about a 12-month period, and we're, we're, we're praying, and we really spend the vast majority of this time just seeking the Lord in the Scriptures, asking some hard questions of each other about where our church is, what we're struggling with, what are we sensing, what are we hearing, we, we run that through the filter of our vision frame as a church, our, our mission, our, our values, uh, our strategy, and our measures. Um, and we're trying to look for what books of the Bible can we teach through over the next year that will speak to where we're living as a church, or are there specific topics that we want to address? For example, one of the things we're thinking about right now as we look towards 2020 Um, is we're going to be in another hot political cycle in 2020. It's going to be a presidential campaign. I pastor a church that's multi-ethnic, which means I got as many MSNBC watchers as I got Fox News watchers. So we're already thinking about in 2020, when would it be right to drop in a series that would bring biblical worldview and principles to the issues that society's going to be talking about? Immigration, who do you vote for? 
um, uh, marriage, abortion, all these types of things that society is going to be dealing with. How do we bring a biblical worldview to these things? So that's the 30,000 foot view. We're trying to see the big picture, look about 12 months out. What books of the Bible are we going to go through or what topical series are we going to drop in? Then there's the 10,000 foot view. And this is where we actually assign texts and plan series. So this would be not just myself and our executive pastor. We involve some members of our creative team in this process. And we begin to look out again over those that next year where we've kind of said, okay, next year we're going to preach through, for example, say the book of Ephesians. This is what we planned last year. So we're going to look ahead and we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. It really speaks to some of the things that we think we need to grow in as a church. So what we'll do in this meeting is we'll take uh, a day or so, and we'll just block out the day, and we'll just spend the day in the book of Ephesians. And we'll try to break the book of Ephesians down by text, and then assign a text to each weekend. So let's just say we looked at the book of Ephesians, and we decided there were going to be 38 messages through the book of Ephesians based on how we broke it down. Then we'll assign a text to each of those weekends. Or if we've decided we're going to do a series like the one on the political issues, then we'll say, okay, we're going to do a four or five week series on that. And we'll assign, we'll try to find the texts of scripture that deal with the topics, because even when we preach topically, we want to be driven by a text and let the text govern the message. So that's this assigning text and planning series um, and trying to map those out. So we're taking the book of Ephesians. We're going to say, you know what? With Ephesians, we're going to wind up with these verses on these days, and we're going to do Ephesians in, say, six different series. So we wouldn't preach the whole book of Ephesians as one series. We might do six different series. Right now, we just started a series at Hope Church. We're in Ephesians right now. In chapter 4, verse 17, we launched about a six- or eight-week series called uh, walk this way. But we had broken that down a year ago in this 10,000 foot view of assigning texts and planning series. Phase three would be the thousand foot view. And that's where our teaching team meets every week on Tuesday morning from 8 a.m. to 10, 10.30 a.m. And for a couple of hours, we meet together and we'll take the texts that have been assigned in that meeting that happened at the 10,000 foot view And what we'll do is every week we look two weeks out. And so we're taking the text for the next two weeks and we're looking ahead at those texts, trying to answer the big question, what's the What's the central idea? What's the big idea of this passage? And what are the major teaching points? So that whoever's going to be preaching, we as a group have wrestled together at a macro level, looking at the book as a whole. But now as a micro level, we're coming together as a team, hearing from God about what's the big idea of this passage of Scripture, and then what are the major teaching points. Phase four is what we call on the ground. It's actually preparing the sermon. So the way we map this out, we get to this point. Now whoever's teaching that weekend has all this work that's been done by the team handed to them, and then they walk through their own personal steps of preparation for the message so that that weekend when they preach, they own it. It's their illustrations. It's their content. But everybody's spoken into uh, the series, the theming, the big idea, the major teaching points. Now they're just beginning to put this down in such a way that 
they can teach it as their own. And then finally, the last phase, phase five, is just what we call in the pulpit. It's delivering the message. It's preaching that message. It's doing it with a heart that's broken. Uh, it's a shepherd's heart as you teach. It's, it's, it's delivering this message with that sense of humility, remembering who I am. It's delivering that message with transparency. I'm one of them as I teach this. And then it's delivering that message with a sense of desperation, knowing that apart from the Holy Spirit, we can have all the preparation in the world. But if the Holy Spirit of God is not empowering us in that moment uh, to preach the Word of God, we're completely useless. So that's the, the overview of the five phases of the process. Yeah, that's a lot of good information. If you're a pastor and you're listening to this and you um, have never thought about this, maybe you need to pause and, and rewind and, and listen again. But I want to specifically, Vance, drill down on phase four, which you said is on the ground, which is really when whoever's teaching that week will take all of the info that we took from our teaching team and the work that that team did together and then begin to prepare the sermon um, based on what we as a teaching team came up with. Obviously, there's no right way. There's no perfect way. Everyone, you know, a, a systematized way from the word that we are to prepare a sermon. But, um, man, I just know you are uh, an amazing communicator. There has been, if, if people are listening to this, they probably are listening to this because they've heard you communicate. So I think it'd be really helpful for our, our listeners to, to hear and to kind of see behind the curtain on how you um, prepare a sermon on the ground. Once you get that info from the teaching team, what does it look like for you to actually prepare that sermon? Yeah, for me, once once I get, the, the like we said, down to phase four, where we've already gotten all the input from the teaching team, uh, and it becomes my personal weekend to preach that message, I'm going to have anywhere on the low end from probably eight to nine hours, on the high end, 15 to 20 hours in, in preparation for a given message on a weekend. Because I've heard somebody say before that, that sermon preparation is somewhat like labor and delivery. Um, when, when a woman is having a baby, uh, sometimes she goes in and there is a, uh, a baby born in an hour and a half. Other times she goes in and there's 10, 12 hours of labor before there's a baby born. Uh, sermon preparation is somewhat like that in that um, you never know how long it's going to be. So for me, it may range sometimes six, eight hours, sometimes 10 to 15, 20 hours. But at the end of the day, a message is going to come out. And in order for that to happen, for me, there are 10 steps to my process. And I'm not going to go into detail with these. I'm just going to list them for you. But um, the first is pray. And that's obviously a given. Every message must begin with and be bathed in prayer. I, I will give you a quote by Ian Bounds. He said, God's true preachers can be distinguished by one great feature. They are men of prayer. So you begin with prayer. Number two, you read the text. Um, and this is where you're just reading the text. And I like to memorize the passage of Scripture uh, so that I can meditate on it. But it's reading the text. Then number three, you read the text some more. And by that, I mean you read it in different translations. I like to read in between six and eight different Bible translations as I'm studying a text of Scripture. Number four, you confirm the big idea or the central idea. That, that idea that the teaching team had come up with, you just make sure it is the big idea. Number five, you outline the passage of Scripture. You're, again, confirming those major teaching points. I'm looking again at that text. Then number six, is I do my word studies. And that's where I'm going to get in the linguistic study and do the word study. And sometimes that changes the outline a little bit based on what you dig out of that text of Scripture and the word studies. Number seven, I read commentaries on the text. Let me make a point here. We're seven steps into the personal part of this. We're four phases into the teaching team process. 
before we've opened commentaries. I think that's very important. The temptation is to become a commentary preacher, and that's the difference in you hearing from God and hearing what someone else has heard from God. So be sure your process includes that. For me, here's some real quick guidelines for commentaries. Um, don't don't get obsessed with them. At least three, but no more than ten. Avoid sets of commentaries by one person. Usually nobody's an expert on the whole Bible. I like commentary sets where the individual books of the Bible are written by different authors. And then when I'm reading commentaries, I look for three things. Affirmation, illustration, quotation. Am I headed in the right direction? Affirmation. If not, then I start over with my exegesis, and I go back through it again. So if I'm going to disagree with the commentary, I need to know that I've done good, solid exegetical work. Number two, illustration, windows that open uh, the, the, the people's eyes to see what's going on in that passage of Scripture. And then quotation. Sometimes a writer says something, and I, I just have to give him credit because he just said it in a way that I can't improve on it. But if you're going to use quotation, quote them. Integrity demands it. Number eight, you outline the message for the purpose of preaching. This is different than getting the big idea and the central teaching points. Now you're wordsmithing uh, to get these points down in a way that people can remember them. And here's some questions we like to ask. Is it biblical? Is it simple? Is it applicable? When you're getting these preaching points, are they biblical? Are they simple? Are they applicable? Then number nine, you simplify the message. You got to get it simplified. It's the hardest step of preparation. If you've really studied well, you have more content than the audience can can digest in one sitting. You got to leave a lot on the floor. And then finally, step 10 is where you begin. You pray. Uh, Martin Luther said, he that hath prayed well hath studied well. So that's the 10 steps that I use in personal preparation. That's awesome. And, and again, we've, we've, we've covered a lot of content. And um, again, I've seen this play out over 10 years at Hope Church now. And um, I, I've benefited from just the, um, the conviction and the principles that Vance has laid out here. But Vance, if somebody's, if somebody's maybe asking, man, I've been preaching on my own for, for years. Um, as we finish up, what is the strength of having a teaching team? Again, maybe it's not a bunch of people on staff. Maybe it's some people around you who love Jesus that are in your church. What would you say as we finish up are the strengths of using a teaching team? Why do it? If somebody's on the fence, why use a teaching team? Great question, Scott. Uh, For me, nothing revolutionized uh, my personal preaching ministry like when I began to implement this. It, It was so good for me personally. But as I thought about that question, let me give you... Uh, five reasons or five strengths of using a teaching team. Number one, uh, it keeps the teaching ministry of the church content-centered. And here's what I mean by that. If we're not careful, the teaching ministry of a church can be built on the charisma of one person doing the teaching rather than on the content of the gospel-centered messages that are being communicated. And what I love about using a teaching team uh, in that at, at our church, I preach now about 30, 32 times a year, and the other Sundays are u- done by a part of our team. Um, so the team is not just in preparation, but the team is also in the delivering of the messages, and it, it keeps the message to be the center. It never is about a person. Our church, our attendance doesn't fall or rise based on whether or not I'm in the pulpit or not, because the messages are centered on the content. I think that, um, unfortunately, it's this idea of charisma that drives much of the American church philosophy when it comes to preaching. We have a cult of personality, and the team mentality keeps it centered on the gospel and the the message of the scriptures. Secondly, 
um, a strength is that that it uses multiple voices. The teaching ministry of the church is strengthened through multiple voices, hearing mission, vision, and DNA reinforced by more than just one voice adds weight to the ministry and to the message. Number three, uh, it develops others. Using a teaching team creates opportunities to develop other preachers and teachers. I'm convinced that one of the great missteps of this generation of pastors and teachers is we've abdicated our responsibility to raise up the next generation of preachers and communicators of God's truth and God's word. And I think one of the reasons for that is this gross sense of insecurity that exists in a lot of leadership in churches today where we're threatened by other communicators. But when you get to the the joy, and Scott, you're a perfect example of this. You joined our team um, as a guy who just got married when you were just in your early 20s as a youth pastor, and you've been a part of this teaching team process now for a number of years, and it's allowed you to cultivate and develop, and God's raised you up now as a gifted part of the teaching team ministry at Hope. You just preached here at Hope Church, and I heard from a ton of people what an incredible job you did in accurately handling the word of truth and doing it with authority uh, and humility and power uh, and experience, and all of that is born out of this teaching team that's given you that that opportunity and that platform. Before I give the other two, anything you would say about that for you personally? I mean, yeah, I would I would just totally agree from a, I remember when I first got invited to the meeting um, and that was just a huge honor to be able to, I think originally I was invited, um, um, you kind of joke about it now, but you know, here's the creative guy, help us, help us be creative. <laughs> yeah. But to be able to sit and to hear and really to see behind the scenes of everything we talked about in this podcast is true. I mean, to see that, I think for four or five years before I was ever given the opportunity to actually preach on stage at Hope, um, it really it laid a foundation for me that when I when I was given that opportunity, I think the first time was in 2016 or 17 when you asked me to teach um, one one summer, and I took all of that knowledge and all of that stuff that I've learned, this this wisdom principles, and. I, I was not just like trying to craft a sermon to, to please Hope Church. I'm, I'm taking all the things you've taught me over the years in this teaching team environment. And so, yeah, I 100% agree. You have developed me. I have been developed by that team. And um, I'm just super, super grateful to not only be a part of the team, but to see this all played out and totally influence me in my life. And I hope if you're listening to this as a pastor, uh, church leader, I hope you heard the long game and what he just said. Uh, Scott is now a very gifted part. You can go online and, and listen to his teaching on our um, website. He, Scott could pastor a large church, and, and his teaching gift it would, would carry him there. But, but the beauty of, of what we're describing is it was a several-year process where God used this process to, to number one, to rec- we didn't bring him in originally to teach. We brought him in to bring the creative elements, but we recognized through the teaching team, this teaching gift and cultivating that. And now God's raised him up um, and he's, he's a vital part of the team. So so the strengths are it's content-centered, multiple voices. It develops other leaders. And number four, it creates shared ownership of the weekend message. Often, if you don't use a team process, the only person that cares about the weekend sermon is the one delivering it. But when there's been a team involved in the preparation from macro to micro levels of this message, there's a shared ownership. So we all care, even when I'm not preaching. Uh, Scott, you just preached shared hope, but I was a part of the teaching team process helping you craft that message. So I enjoyed and owned it with you as you were preaching, and others own it when I'm preaching. And then the fifth and final strength is just spiritual refreshment. 
the the pastor whose primary responsibility is preaching, the team brings incredible refreshment, and it it does it in two ways. Number one, it allows you some breaks throughout the year to protect you from burnout and encourages a, a more fresh attitude towards preaching ministry when you get those breaks and are letting others um, begin to develop and utilize their gifts. And secondly, by having others in the study process, it brings fresh insight and energy to the weekly study. For example, uh, some guys live for the study. That is not me. I love preaching. I love study, but I don't live for the study. And so after I've preached all day on a Sunday, to come in and start over with the study with my Bible and that blank notebook is so intimidating. But when we start in this teaching team environment, by the time we're done with those two hours, I can't wait to dig back into that passage of Scripture. It encourages and refreshes me. So there's many strengths. That's a few of them of why I think this is so important. That's awesome. And so we want to say thank you for listening to this. Again, we know this was kind of a different episode, specifically geared right at pastoral leadership and ministry in the church. Um, but we hope it was beneficial. Again, we've gotten several questions and several comments about doing an episode on the teaching team. So to kick off our summer, that's what we decided to do. And we hope it was beneficial for you. And you can catch us next month jumping into great content. We have a, a special guest with us next month that we're really excited about. So make sure you tune in for the next episode of the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. Thanks again for joining us for the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. You can find all the show notes on your favorite podcasting app or at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. We will be releasing a new episode on the first Monday of every month to help you and your teams lead like never before.